we have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Hi, my name is Ben Kantak and you're listening to Talking Australia, a podcast by Australian Geographic. Our guest today is the award-winning author and science communicator Julian Cripp. Over the years, Julian has published thousands of articles in science media releases, as well as 12 books focusing on the existential risk faced by humanity. His new book, Earth Detox, How and Why We Must Clean Up Our Planet, addresses the dangers that toxic chemicals pose, why these are actually even more of a threat to our future than climate change, and what can be done to stop us from poisoning ourselves each and every day. I'm thrilled to chat to Julian on this episode of Talking Australia. Welcome, Julian. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, Julian, you are a leading voice in raising awareness for the existential risk humanity is facing. Besides thousands of articles you wrote on this topic, you published 12 books which explore essential questions like how to feed 10 billion humans this century, how food can help prevent human conflict, and obviously another really important and, and huge subject is the poisoning of our planet. Currently, it seems the whole world is on fire. I mean, we had the unprecedented bushfires uh, in Australia, Western Canada was on fire and now Siberia is burning and uh, climate change cannot be longer denied by world leaders. In your new book, Earth Detox, How and Why We Must Clean Up Our Planet, you state that toxic chemicals pose even more of a threat to our future than climate change. Why is this not on every front page currently? Well, I think it's because we're all complicit in the poisoning of our Earth. Uh, basically, the amount of toxic chemicals that we emit as humans is six times larger than our climate emissions, and they are killing 10 times more people. So uh, it, it's a vast avalanche of chemicals, and they, they are emitted by almost every single thing that we do in the course of our day. So when we shower in the morning, we cover ourselves with chemicals, we eat breakfast, we ingest chemicals, we go out in the street, we inhale chemicals and we emit them from our motor cars. You know, we, we have saturated this planet and nowhere, nowhere on earth is free from man-made chemicals. You can go to the peak of, the Mount, of Mount Everest or you can go into the depths of the Pacific Ocean, the most remote atolls, um, the far reaches of Antarctica, and you will find man-made poisonous chemicals. They are absolutely everywhere. They're affecting nature just as much as they affect us. That's such an interesting aspect about you know, toxic chemicals, because within that field, the focus, for example, is very much on agriculture, for example. And I think that's something that was very, very interesting to me, that you know, it's, it's everywhere. We can't escape it, because uh, in the agricultural sector, for example, we had Charles Massey on a previous episode, and we talked about, or he talked about how regenerative farming can help to nurture back our soils and bring back much-needed biodiversity and so forth. And he's fighting big pesticides 
pesticide companies and uh, you know their their lobbying power still seems so strong and they're not a big fan of his and they certainly won't be a big fan of yours either because you you take it way further than just the agricultural sector what needs to be done to break the power of those multinational companies let us first understand that the petrochemical sector is a part of the fossil fuel sector They're joined at the hip, basically. These companies are owned by or connected to all of the companies that produce coal, oil and gas. Okay, and they turn those products into into various types of chemicals, which are all very useful. Many of them very useful uh, for human existence, but many of them are very toxic and they have never, ever been tested. So we're talking about approximately 100, 150 large corporates worldwide that are off the leash. They are not being disciplined by any government in the world, and they're producing just as much pollution as they care. And they're claiming, as they did with climate change, that it's not making any difference, even though they know that's not true. I mean, they've known it's not true for, you know, since Rachel Carson, since Minamata, Um, you know, more than 70 years, they've known it's not true. But they keep on insisting that these things are good for us. And of course, they're not good for us. They're damaging every single human being every single day. Um, You ask how we address that. It's it's a long answer, I'm afraid, but... um, That's all right. That's all right. We have time. (laughs) Okay. Well, basically, the people of the world have to understand what they're putting in their mouths and on their bodies and the amount of chemicals in their environment. I mean, if you take take a baby, for example, When that baby is in the womb, it is already being loaded with carcinogens, cancer-causing industrial poison. When it comes into the world, it's got them in its blood. It's been tested in many industrial societies, and they're finding this in newborn children. Then when it has its first mouthful of its mother's milk, uh, it gets a mouth pesticide because the mother has taken up pesticides from eating fruit and vegetables and things like that over her lifetime prior to that. Um, then as that baby, when it's, when it's put to bed at night, it, it's, it's put in a cot, usually on a, a mattress that's made from petrochemicals, in bedding that is made from petrochemicals. Um, its toys are made from petrochemicals. Its eating utensils are made from petrochemicals. All of these plastics um, and, and, and synthetic fibres that it is surrounded with are all emitting volatile organic compounds, which are bad for you. Uh, and we just don't know the half of it, but we are starting to notice that things like childhood cancers um, and especially brain damage among children is becoming much, much more common than it ever was, you know, 20, 30, 50 years ago. And that is, you know, that's such a shocking revelation to 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 us when we hear about that, the, the unconscious consumption of all these chemicals. You know, there are certain things that we know are not good for us, but I feel that we can't escape it. It's it's really hard. Like living in our world as it is right now, um, how is it even possible to not take in all these toxic uh, chemicals within our daily lives? Well, at the moment, it's impossible. No child on earth for the next... 50 or 100 years is going to go chemical free. But if you if you go back a few generations to your great great grandparents, they lived in a world that was chemical free. Yeah, they were totally free of these poisons. They lived before the industrial world came along to poison them. So it is possible, but it, it is only by becoming aware of the chemical burden that we all carry, and starting to use our power as consumers to buy green safe products, in preference to toxic polluting poisonous ones that's the only way that these big companies listen to no other message 
than the marketplace. They yeah. only listen to the dollars. They do not listen to politicians. They do. They ignore government laws. If a, if a government gets tough on them, they just pull up stakes and move to another country. Um, they don't care how much poison they release. Um, they see themselves as being just small contributors to an overall global poisoning, and therefore they claim that they're innocent, but they're not. They're part of a compound effort, uh, basically, by the chemistry profession um, you know, to, to unleash these things on humanity, and on, on uh, you know, the wild world as well. I mean, the insects worldwide are disappearing yeah. Yeah. because of all the pesticides that we use. And if the insects disappear, the birds go with them and the honeybees are going. And the honeybees help supply nearly a third of the world's food by pollinating our crops. So we're actually reducing the world's food supply by poisoning insects. Uh, this is utterly crazy, but it's these simplistic solutions that we've adopted and been pursuing for the last 60, 70 years. We've just got to get them out of the system somehow. And the reason I wrote Earth Tetox was to make people aware of the sheer scale of this enterprise, of this, yeah. of this, of this threat to every single person. There's 350,000 um, chemicals that are manufactured by humans. And on top of that, there's all the chemicals that we release when we do mining and farming and industrial activity and things like that and transport and so forth. So, so there's this enormous cocktail, uh, something around 200 billion tonnes of chemicals being unleashed every single year. Wow. And these things don't just go away, they're cumulative, right? So it's 200,000 200 billion tons plus 200 billion tons plus 200 every year that passes another load of 200 billion tons of chemicals many of them toxic are dumped on the planet dumped on human beings dumped on the oceans dumped on the wild world so you know it it, it, it it's completely out of control uh, out of the 350,000 man-made chemicals we've so far banned get this 21 <laughs> That's, right. yeah. so, and that, that's, that sounds like a joke. That sounds like a joke, to be honest. That, that's well, it, it, it's a horrid wow. joke because wow. uh, it's taken us 21 years to ban those 21 chemicals. So it's going to take us a third of a million years to ban the other one, review all the other ones and ban the toxic ones. Yeah. So, you know, if we move at the snail's pace, the regulatory pace, regulation is essential. Don't get me wrong, but it is not going to save us. Only aware consumers united worldwide through the internet and social media are going to be able to discipline these companies. But, but let me say, there is one big thing that we can all do. We can get rid of fossil fuels. Yeah. If we get rid of fossil fuels by 2030, as we need to do, climate to be stable enough for humans to survive in, it will get rid of a large part of the pollution problem, provided those fossil fuels are not then turned into more chemicals. Okay, if, if, if all fossil fuels are banned, it, that will reduce the poisoning of the planet by a good two thirds. Yeah. So, uh, but basically the answer to climate is the same as the answer to global poisoning. Get rid of fossil fuels of all descriptions and their daughter products. Right. The second thing is you need to send the message to the clean green chemical companies. Hey guys, you're producing safe ways of whatever it is, controlling pests, um, dressing infants, you know, uh, producing useful uh, house appliances or, or household mm. cleaning fluids. You know, we're going to reward you by patronising you. We're going to shop at the supermarket for your products instead of the poisonous ones. And only when there is that huge consumer realisation 
that we need to shop for safety and health instead of shopping for, you know, for, for poison and, and premature death. Is it really going to happen? So we need a vast consumer education program worldwide to make people aware of the scale of the threat. The, the US Breast Cancer Foundation, for example, has started to educate American and women around the world about how to avoid or reduce your breast cancer risk. And one of the ways is not to use so much of these so-called toxic products. Don't smear your body with perfumes and, and other volatiles that are poisonous, uh, you know, and, and uh, shampoo that contains toxic preservatives, uh, all, all of those sorts of things. Avoid um, the cosmetics brands that produce poisonous stuff and patronise the cosmetics brands the virtue of producing organic or safe um, products. And that's really starting to happen, you know, people changing the world in various different ways. We've changed it with, we're changing it with ethical coffee. We're, we're, um, we're, we're telling clothing manufacturers we don't want slavery and things like that in the, in yeah. the textile factories. Yeah. So, so consumers can do an awful lot to change the world. And uh, I find it very interesting what you said about uh, that basically climate change and, and this issue of, of us basically, you know, poisoning ourselves. <laughs> the solution is the same, get rid of fossil fuels. And what I also find interesting is that um, the, the solution is also the same in terms of it has to be a bottom-up uh, policy decision, not a top-down. Like it, it, it clearly showed that that's not the way to go. As you said, we have to demand this change and we have to go for you know alternative products or alternative ma manufacturers who take this seriously. So it's pretty much a bottom bottom up movement. Let, let me explain. Let me explain why the, um, the 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 combined petrochemical fossil fuels industry is worth seven trillion dollars a year. It's the third largest industry on earth. It's also the third largest economy on earth. Right? The world's yeah. largest economy is the U.S., followed by China, followed by the petrochemical sector. Okay, it wields immense power. It controls governments in dozens of countries in subtle ways. But basically their policies are dictated for them by petrochemical interests, right? We, we, we've seen it, you know, we, we saw uh, America go into uh, Iraq, you know, basically propelled by the oil industry. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a gross example of how the, but, but the power is wielded much more subtly. It's uh, within the legislators, individual politicians are being bought and sold in order to further petrochemical interests. So ordinary government systems, democratic systems do not work because the democracies have been bought. Uh, and we, we, we can't rely on the systems that we used to rely on to govern us wisely because they're in the pockets of, of corrupt companies. So, you know, we, we're going to have to fight back on our own two fit. There's no doubt about that. But globally, when they get together, humans can do wonderful things. Now, we're fighting back against fossils in the climate area. And all the negative publicity and the climate denialism is coming from the fossil fuel sector. They're trying to hang on to their profits as long as they possibly can. And they yeah. do not give a damn what happens to us or our grandkids. They don't care if the world goes to hell in a handcart and it will go to hell because the latest IPCC report says even with even if everybody met the Paris target, 
yeah. we would still have three degrees of global warming by the end of this century. And if we don't meet that target, we'll have five degrees of global warming. And while that doesn't sound very much, uh, it's going to wipe out at least half the world's agriculture. So you imagine a world where there's 10 or 11 billion people with half the food supplies to, to, to subsist on. You imagine a world where the billions of refugees are moving country every single year, okay? At the moment, uh, around about a third of a billion people move countries, migrate from, from, from countries that are being damaged or poorly ruled, trying to find safer homes for themselves. Right, so we've got a third of a billion, if you like, refugees, climate refugees, economic refugees on the road already. You know, by the 2050s, that will be at least one billion, maybe more. You know, people start fighting over scarce resources like food, land and water. Yeah. So that's where all of this winds up. And this is the point that we've been trying to put across from the Council of the Human Future. All of these big problems are connected. We cannot treat them one by one. We have to address all of them at the same time and with solutions that make none of them worse. Currently, we are witnessing, witnessing a growing movement of, of, you know, for example, anti-vaxxers and people arguing, you know, they're highly skeptical of these vaccines they are offered. And, you know, it's, it's been pretty tough in certain areas to try to convince people, you know, um, to, to, you know, maybe do their part to fight this pandemic that we are faced with at the moment. But yet we're, you know, there are people skeptical about that. There's a movement growing um, against these vaccines, but yet we are putting all these proven toxic chemicals into, you know, our bodies on a daily basis. What are your thoughts on this? And why is there not a global anti-chemicals movement yet? You know, it kind of seemed to work for for this little group and they, they certainly make sure that uh, certain media outlets, you know, make sure that, that they are heard or their points are heard. Well, there is a global anti-chemicals movement. Uh, I mean, certainly there, there are people like Pan Pa who campaign against chemicals in agriculture. Of course, um, of course, but not you know they're not on the front pages at the moment. Whereabouts they are? So, yeah. Well, Greenpeace, Friends of the Earth, have, have been at it for decades. Um, they're aware of the problem. The, the answer is that really, until I wrote this book, nobody knew how big the problem was. Yeah. This is the first time to, to actually someone has attempted to measure the total quantum of human chemical emissions and to describe what happens to them. Whatever we do, whether it's the soil we disturb when we farm, whether it's the um, emissions that we put out the back of our motor vehicles, whatever, once we've released those things into the environment, yeah. they start moving around the planet. And they don't just go away, you know, they combine with other chemicals, you know, they, they don't cease to exist. Uh, we, we, we forget them and we ignore them. But, you know, the, 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 when you start your car this morning, your emissions will still be warming the planet in 300 years' time. Yeah. You know, so, so the effect of these chemicals lasts for a very long time. You talked about um, the US and um, obviously how, how big companies you know, use their influence to, to influence policies and just hold on to, you know, to their profits as long as they can. A powerful picture from your book is uh, you describe Americans as a walking cocktail of uh, contaminants. Um, it's a super powerful picture. What went wrong in the US exactly um, that you came to that powerful picture and how can we learn from that? Well, after World War II, I mean, Germany was the leading chemical company, chemical country in the world yeah. um, and, and Britain as well. Uh, but America became the dominant power 
uh, in chemistry after World War II. They put phenomenal amounts of money. They realized, that, I mean, chemistry is part of the sinews of war, okay? And yeah, yeah. If you follow it right back, you know, the chemical industry starts with innocent things like dyes for ladies' dresses. But in World War I, all the factories that made them got converted into producing high explosives yeah. and poison gas. Yeah. And, and that, that trend has continued. So uh, America, in promoting all its military things, obviously promoted the chemical industry at the same time, and it became the world's chemical superpower. American consumers got worried about it, and they started complaining to their congressmen and women, and so the regulation got tougher. So a lot of chemical companies in America upstakes and moved to China and India where the regulations are much lighter. Um, the local uh, government is very often corrupt. Uh, so, so basically, they, they, uh, they were able to continue their game without changing what they produce, just by moving their factory from Pittsburgh to, I don't know, Shanghai or somewhere. Yep. But, but, but So there was this huge translocation. And China is today the world's chemical superpower. Now, China has a bit of a mixed feelings about this. They're very aware. Of, of the air pollution that surrounds their citizens. Yeah. And they've been striving to reduce that air pollution because the citizens are complaining mightily about that and the polluted water beneath their cities. So China's increasingly aware of this and they're, they're cleaning up Wii U, places like Wii U where they reprocess, they used to reprocess all the world's old computers and things like that. They, they've shut it down basically. Um, so China is aware of it, but at the same time, it's churning the stuff out. So the insecticide you have in your house to spray, to, to spray the blowfly is probably made in China these days. The herbicide you buy in your garden center is made in China these days. Mm. Um, and they're made very often using old American um, technologies that are quite dirty and, and polluting. So, you know, there's this ambivalence. The industry is roaring ahead, making as much money as it possibly can. Um, and meanwhile, quietly evading uh, any, any sort of real regulatory control. The other thing is that once you, once you imagine this enormous worldwide circulation of chemicals, yeah. you quickly realise that even if your local government is the toughest government on earth on, chem on poison chemicals, you can't stop them coming in. Yeah. They're coming in in the food you import. They're coming in on the wind. They're coming in on people and their clothing. You know, so it, it, it's everybody is subject to this because the human race is spread all around the planet now. And just like we're sharing our pandemic diseases, we're also sharing our chemical toxins. Hence why it needs a global effort to to crack down on this and, and, and try to solve this issue. As you said, uh, you know, you can't escape it if, if it gets blown into the atmosphere somewhere else or put into the water food. Yeah, exactly that. Well, um, you offer a... A 10-point plan, you propose a 10-point plan, because that's what I like about the book as well, that it's not only exposing what is going wrong and, you know, shedding a light on these things uh, for the first time um, in this depth, but you also offer solutions, which I think is always a great thing, um, because currently it seems we're spiraling towards extinction. There's nothing we can do about it, but you are offering solutions in your book and uh, you propose this 10-point plan. Can you explain that a little bit and what gives you hope that it's not too late yet? Yeah, well, well, basically, I always offer solutions. Uh, you know, I described some pretty ugly problems. Yeah. You know, the global food crisis, for example, um, all of these different threats, um, poisoning, climate, what have you. But I always like to find the solutions because, mm. you know, we are basically survivors. Humans 
are practiced at surviving, and we've been at it for over a million and a half years. Our first big survival move was the discovery of fire. We discovered that we weren't afraid of fire and leopards, which were eating the kids at the time, were afraid of fire. We, yeah. we made that discovery. And when we sat around the fire in the evening, we started to exchange ideas. And that's where the human brain came from. Basically, it, through the interaction of the little social group, that's where the brain began to grow. So, you know, we are, we are practiced survivors over a minute and a half years. And I, I don't like to think that we would, would just give up and go extinct. Yeah. And, and I don't think that that is going to happen unless we have an all-out nuclear war or something of that nature. But, you know, we, we are really on the cusp of a colossal crash in our population, our economy, uh, our human civilization if we don't yeah. remedy these problems. So, consequently, I always write about what the solutions are. And I look at those solutions both in terms of what must be done at the government or the global level also what people can do in their own lives yeah because people like to feel that they're contributing people like Absolutely. to feel that they are doing something for themselves and I, I like to use the example of, of my daughter who has a scientific training now she's a, a young mother and has a couple of daughters of her own yeah and her house is about as chemical free as you can make a house these days she actively goes out she's got a science degree so she knows what she's doing she seeks out the products you know, the, the kids' toys are made of wood rather than plastic. Yeah. You know, the, the, the cleaning agents are things like vinegar. They're very harm, harmless chemicals compared to the very toxic ones that you buy in the supermarket. You know, so, so she's made a big effort to, to create a chemical, as chemical-free an environment as it's possible in the modern world. But, of course, it's not possible because you go out of your house, you get in your car and you start inhaling plastic yeah. vapours again. You know, so you, you can't, one person can't do it alone, but there is an awful lot that they can do. Um, and my son, who's also keen on this sort of thing, has a chemical monitor in his baby's bedroom. And he, he, he studies what the pollution, you can buy a pollution monitor and put it anywhere in your house and see what's actually going on, how many pollutants are swilling around you yeah. in the course of your day and what the baby is inhaling at night. So, you know, you really, we need to start doing these things to be aware of the problems. And then that turns us, the big thing is that every single day we vote on the kind of world we want to have, mm. okay? Most people are not aware of this, but when they go into the supermarket and they spend a dollar, that dollar is a vote on the future world that they will be living in, okay? It is either going to go to sustainable food or it's going to go to unsustainable food. It's either going to go to poisonous, toxic industries, or it's going to go to clean, green industries. So that dollar determines the behavior of all of those huge corporations up the chain. So if every human being, all 8 billion of us, you know, votes for a cleaner, healthier, safer world, every time we spend a dollar, that is going to change the behavior of the big companies. They can't ignore a signal like that. But there's one other thing that I really think that we need. We need a new human right not to be poisoned. Yes, you talk uh, about that in your book. That, that's good that you bring that up. I would have done that otherwise. Yeah, that's very interesting, that point. Yeah, well, we have a human right, um, you know, not just to, 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 to life and to, you know, employment and things like that, but yeah. we, we have a right not to be tortured. Okay, everybody in the in, in the world enjoys this right. Presumably, for a few people, they're being tortured now, and there's not much you can do. Now, in the case of chemicals, we are actually 
chemicals are actually killing between 10 and 12 million people every single year, which is the largest act of homicide in human history, right? Mm, yeah. It is far worse than World War II, far worse than World War I, far worse than the purges of the Stalinist and, and um, Mao Zedong era uh, in those countries. So basically, you know, it, it, this is an act of homicide on, on, on an epic scale, which we're all quietly turning a blind eye to because we're all facilitating it by encouraging these toxic industries. Now, we really need to be, to be made much more aware of how bad that is. You can't just go around killing 25,000 people a day so you can live a comfortable life. Because that's what we're doing. We're killing 25,000 humans every single day. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's four or five times the death toll from COVID, for example, is yeah. from, from chemicals. So basically, we need everyone to be aware. And having a human right not to be poisoned is the first step in global awareness that this is a crime and it ought not to be happening. It ought to be changed. Um, also, that means you can start putting pressure on companies that do the poisoning. So you can start saying, well, you're breaching a basic human right, just like you can, you can hit those companies that use slave labor. Right, you can you because you know that's that's yeah. that's that's outlawed as well. So we we need to outlaw the poisoning of of so many millions of human beings. Um, it, to commit a crime on that scale is 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 just phenomenal, uh, and I find it breathtaking that the world hasn't even noticed that number of people are actually dying and that nobody talks about it. Yeah. But you know, as I say, it's it's worse than the worst war in human history. It's probably worse than all the wars in human history, if you, if you add them all together. So, so we really need to do something about that. And I believe that having a human right with all the debate and discussion around it that, that goes on, and then having that to hold up uh, to the world uh, against those, those corporations that are doing the poisoning uh, and to shame them over what they're doing and to have their shareholders say, we don't want a company that breaches human rights. We want a company that produces clean green chemicals. Um, we need that kind of pressure, the pressure of public opinion uh, and public condemnation where it's necessary uh, to, to change the way this, this industry is functioning. And I think your book, Earth Detox, is certainly the much needed wake up call. Gina, thank you so much for speaking to me today and for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, Ben. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.